I don't remember exactly how the conversation came up that, that it might be you and I who collaborate together. Um, but what I do know from my perspective is that English seems like such an adaptable subject yeah. and you can read and you can write anywhere. So I knew immediately when Jesse brought the idea up that um, at the very least I could take my English class to the woods. Yeah. If that was all we did, I could do that. My name is Rob Van Nood, and you're listening to the second season of Elevate, a podcast about big ideas, little projects, and everything in between. Educators and students share their short, elevator pitch-sized stories to raise your awareness of everything that is going on here at Catlin Gable School. In this episode of Elevate, I continue my exploration of collaboration across the campus at Catlin Gable by sitting down with middle school English teacher Krista Kayanoa and middle school science teacher Jesse Lowes to hear all the ins and outs of how they have developed a successful partnership through poetry and ecology that has spanned many years. Hi there, I'm Jesse Lowes. I'm the seventh grade science teacher here at Catlin with one of my dear, dear colleagues. I'm Krista Kayanoa, seventh grade English teacher at Catlin Gable. Yeah, and we're, we're psyched to be sitting down and sharing something personally I'll say is, that has become um, a really, really enriching and valuable collaborative experience with the kids and, and with Krista um, in our Hila Woods field ecology slash poetry project that um, I think a lot of folks on campus have likely heard about. I know I send out invites to come join us in the field for some science or poetry. Um, and many folks have joined, but we, we thought it'd be nice to share a little bit about the, the genesis of that project, um, some of the, the ways that we came together to collaborate, kind of what that looks like, um, and potentially, I guess, how that could be used to grow more or as a seed for another kind of collaboration. Those are the kind of things that come to mind, for me at least. So, yeah. Sounds good to me. Cool. Mm-hmm. So way back when, I guess if we're telling the story, uh, it was... About eight years ago, I, through a place-based Ed Northwest meeting, had met um, a man, Peter Hayes, and another man, Charlie Graham, who worked at a school, uh, Charlie worked at a school out in Forest Grove, and Peter is a a forester and landowner, um, and lo and behold, a a parent of Catlin alums, and uh, we struck up this idea of, of me bringing Catlin kids out to his forest to do some field work. And not really knowing exactly what that would look like, I ended up showing up um, after school one day and met him in his little cabin, um, a cabin Krista knows very well at this mm-hmm. point, and joined him for a four-wheel drive, four-wheeler ride around his property, um, and hatched up a plan that, that, that our students could come and carry out an ecological field study to determine the health of the creek running through his forest. Um, and he tries to, to model a forestry practice that's um, sustainable, so it's ecologically complex, uh, environmental or uh, economically viable, and um, sustainably respond or sustainably operated. So the idea was that the students would work to to do some work on the creek to see if his foresting practice was achieving those goals, um, and that was kind of the, the genesis from the science perspective. And I did that for one year, just science, and a, a few things uh, came from that. The first thing was that it just was a whole lot to coordinate what was a total of eight field trips 
fully solo. And the other piece that actually had more heart to it was the fact that in doing just science, I felt like we were bringing kids to the forest and, and because we were very goal-oriented in the collection of data, we, we didn't create this, the quiet, connective, sort of introspective space that's so important for kids to have in nature and that I grew up with and that I value and yet I didn't feel I had the time to do that while also carrying out what was attempting to be a pretty professional field study. Um, and so this was our second year working together, Krista, when I, not even knowing how wonderful you are and how great <laughs> I love working with you, a little bit born out of logistics was like, whoa, yeah. who could partner with me to provide something for kids in this experience where we could go together and, and provide an opportunity for kids to have not just a science experience, mm -hmm. but but a more like contemplative, quiet, thoughtful, reflective experience. And I would add another layer of that idea of collaboration was a logistical one too, yeah. where if you could find a collaborative partner, then instead of making eight field trips, you could make six yeah. in instead. Mm -hmm. um, because on those first two field trips, you and the kids could spend the whole day in the woods a half a day doing water testing at the creek and then a half a day with another teacher. Yeah. And I don't remember exactly how the conversation came up that, that it might be you and I who collaborate together. Um, but what I do know from my perspective is that English seems like such an adaptable subject yeah. and you can read and you can write anywhere. So I knew immediately when Jesse brought the idea up that, um, at the very least, I could take my English class to the woods. Yeah. If that was all we did, I could do that. And then, of course, it's turned into a lot more than that. And year by year, I think our curriculum has become more uh, complementary or collaborative, intertwined. So it's changing over time, I think, into something truly more collaborative. Yeah. But it I did kind so of start just thinking, you know what, I can do this. I can yeah. help you in this way. Uh -huh. And I could take my curriculum on the road anywhere if I need to. Right. So we kicked it off with that. For me, that was the spirit of it is, yeah, I'll try this. And, um, we can do that and make yeah. it work. And I think that's such a cool aspect of, of this. And maybe a good reminder, because I think collaboration often has this notion that you have this grand plan of what you want to do and that you are beginning with the vision and then you're, you're like creating it in an intentional way of reaching that vision. But that point of it really mm -hmm. kind of beginning, like not to be, yeah. to talk down, to talk it back too much, but to yeah. say it really did begin from a logistics perspective. Yeah. Yeah. But then I remember sitting like with our feet dangling over the bridge at Hyla Woods, um, looking down at the Creek. And I remember we had a really great conversation about, well, where, where is there a crossover between poetry and science? Yep. And, and that actually, I remember you talking about the, the fact that it's about observation and it's about looking closely at the world. And then the question that we take to the forest as scientists is how do we tell if an ecosystem is healthy? And the notion came up, at least as we were talking, or maybe it was even after that initial conversation of like, well, can a human being who goes to a forest and is truly present and, and aware and reflective do we have those, that apparatus within ourselves through just observation and like the felt sense of a forest to get a sense of mm -hmm. that health just yeah. through being a human being 
present and attentive and maybe creating poetry. So, yes, yeah. And I've loved seeing so, you have books here of yeah. what kids create, which is super cool. Yeah, and that became my guiding question too, yeah. is um, how can we tell if this ecosystem is healthy or can we tell? And so I think of it in terms of you and your science students collecting uh, quantitative data and then the students and I are collecting qualitative data and we're, we're using different um, measurement apparatuses, apparati yeah. for measurement, but we're looking at the same questions. And your outcome is test results and um, a narrative essay that describes mm -hmm. the scientific process that the kids went through and a conclusion statement of what the kids have found and what they think about the health of that ecosystem. Yeah. And then the takeaway for English class is this poetry writing assignment that yeah. also reflects another part of the forest. And combined, I think, is a really, it feels like a complete and thoughtful analysis of their time in the woods. And I'm often amazed that something that is only a total of six days of the student's year mm -hmm. in the field right. is a thread that actually can make its way all the way through the school year right. and, and is as impactful as it is when it's really only six days of the whole school year and that we're out there. And only two days for, for me. And for mm -hmm. each class because I, yeah. I bring, I have four sections and I bring each of the four sections to Highly Woods twice, once in, in combination with another class with yeah. you and then only one more time when they're solo to, to finish up their yeah. study. And so it is true that the whole thing does... It really is only two field experiences, and yet they're pretty immersive and meaningful field experiences, and yeah. I would say really well-rounded yeah. in a way that, that I feel so excited about, knowing that, that I'm, after we do this, this kind of data-heavy work, I'm sending the kids off to this heated cabin to, yeah. to base out of around That's the wood nice stove, too. and then to go off in the woods, and then they, those same kids come to me. Um, and uh, an interesting thing has come up which is the fact that folks will say things like English and science, like, oh, well, you need to know how to write really well to be a scientist. And I feel like we have these ideas of, of how different, quote, subject areas or, or departments might fit together, but I think we miss a lot of things. I think, I think that, um, that that idea that, oh, just learn, like using English as a way to like, become a better scientific writer is a, is a, is a blind spot to other values um, that complement one another mm -hmm. in really the, the crossing point between any mm -hmm. two subjects. Mm -hmm. What's weird and interesting about this is that ever since we've partnered, I've been, I like my antenna are tuned to examples where poetry and science collide. And um, there's a great book without going too deep into, into books, but The Invention of Nature talks about Alexander von Humboldt, who's the father of ecology, and talks about Thoreau, who's like the father of like nature-based poetry. And the influence that the two of them had on each other, specifically Humboldt on Thoreau, is pretty significant in that, that like blending together these, the science and the poetry was so significant. I actually brought a quote, and it was, it's a Thoreau quote that says, that, says um, that a, a true account of the actual is the rarest poetry. And it says, the most interesting and beautiful facts are so much the more poetry. And so just that people have thought poetry and science actually come together, and it's it's only recently that we've kind of tried to, to, to spread them apart again. So mm -hmm. I love, mm -hmm. without being too intellectual about it, the fact that we get to bring it back together mm -hmm. and that kids get to mm -hmm. see where they cross. So 
think that's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. Do you guys see that um, the student experience transfer into other avenues? Do you hear them talking about it? Do they talk about poetry in the science class? Do they talk about science in the poetry class? I know, mm -hmm. you know, after you have them for a year, you mm -hmm. might not have the same connection, yeah. but I'm wondering if that is... Well, an influence beyond I'll, your the work you're doing. I'll talk about one thing, which is just that in our the beginning of our collaboration, <laughs> mm -hmm. I would go out with Jesse and his class. Um, I would do a writing activity with the kids, mm -hmm. and that would result in a poem that then later in the year we would study mm -hmm. poetry specifically, and they would come back to that poem that they wrote in the fall, polish it up. Um, make it as beautiful as they could, and then we would make an anthology of our mm -hmm. poetry. And that was the artifact of this experience that they had in seventh grade. But more recently, I decided that I could have um, a more integrated mm -hmm. approach to the work that was going on in science. And so I decided to introduce a whole literature circle unit that I'm calling EnviroLit Circles. And we... Uh, it happens early in the year, and students choose books that they want to read, and all of them have something to do with water and climate. So in English mm -hmm. class, we're reading books that in some way relate to issues of water and climate. And concurrently, mm -hmm. in science class, they're going to Hyla Woods and doing this water testing, mm -hmm. and they're writing poems based on their observations at Hyla Woods. So... I know for sure that in English class, we're studying things um, like environmentalism, eco-terrorism, eco-activism, water scarcity, drought, yeah. all of these topics that might be considered science topics. Mm -hmm. But we're looking for those in literature as we read. So I know in that respect, students are talking about science mm -hmm. in English because it's built into this unit. Mm -hmm. And I think I have visions or dreams of what this unit could be, like in an alternate world or in a new middle school location, for example. Hypothetically. Hypothetically speaking. <laughs> maybe this Hyla Woods unit could be something that Jesse and I and maybe other partner teachers totally co-teach so that there yeah. isn't an English class in there and a science class mm -hmm. separately but we're all in the creek doing mm -hmm. water testing and we're all in the cabin doing writing and we're all reading literature that somehow relates to these science yeah. topics and, and, and other teachers who also want to collaborate on this could bring in their expertise and we could all kind of learn and teach together in that way. Yes, That's I, would, my dream. I would do that with you in a heartbeat, Krista. <laughs> and I, I, think we, I think we've talked about this also and I... Yeah. I um, that is a dream. A dream of mine would be to, to work with, say, you, and I can envision and have talked to Kit, for example. Yeah. And I'm imagining, or even like, even a partnership where some of the times it's Kit, and maybe another time it's Brendan as another art teacher, yeah. um, where we're doing a combination of, of looking at that first question about the health of the ecosystem. But also, because I talk a lot about forestry and salmon, but particularly with Kit, with forestry and the way that we use wood for, for production, yeah. like how do humans interact with forests through the products that they make with the wood? that's harvested. Um, and then my whole work with the kids culminates with a, a, what I call um, an eco-narrative blog post that, that I love. I'd love to get more 
like partnership with Brendan on to have a little bit more of that digital piece. Mm -hmm. And maybe he's talking about coming out with the drone this year and doing a little bit of like drone footage, for example, and just ways in which we can get that piece brought into the storytelling because the, the connection that I see, you were asking Rob about whether or not I see or we see each other's work showing up. I love that the experience that the kids have has been the, the heart piece, the poetry, the like observation in that kind of like not like starkly scientific, but, but still kind of scientific perspective is, <laughs> yeah. is included because the kids end up writing these blog posts and the, the, they're supposed to tell the story of the work, of what we did, why we went. They're also supposed to share the data and draw some conclusions. But the thing that makes a good piece is the piece where you actually hear the students talk about the, like the bus pulling in and the sounds and the, the, the squishing of the mud as they go down to the mm-hmm. creek. And they, they'll bring in poetry and they'll even mm-hmm. bring in lines from their own poems in this work mm-hmm. um, in a way that a lot of times folks don't feel invited to do in a science piece of writing, mm-hmm. which I think has been problematic in science for so long is that we try to scrub and sterilize so much like in the interest of producing these sort of like overly like hyperbolic like white coat scientists who are just being serious all the mm-hmm. time. But that's not what we need in the world, at least not everybody to be. So having that blending is such a mm-hmm. such a great thing. Um, yeah. In in the last minute or so, um, are there what? So what are some of the limitations? Mm-hmm. So Krista, you had said in my yeah. ideal world, mm-hmm. what's preventing that ideal world yeah. from happening? I I think a major limitation is that for every day that we mm-hmm. head out to Hyla Woods, whether it's for the full day with the two mm-hmm. of us, or if it's half days when Jesse's heading out with each science class, that is also disrupting other class periods yeah. taught by other teachers. And so mm-hmm. it takes an incredible amount of planning and work and looking at the letter days. Mm-hmm. And if we pull them this day, which other classes will they be missing? Mm-hmm. And we want to make sure they never get pulled from that class mm-hmm. if we go back for another field trip. So the scheduling is really complicated. Jesse does an amazing job of reaching out to other teachers and trying to accommodate them right. the best he can. And other teachers make an enormous effort mm-hmm. to accommodate our needs too. But we know that especially like if you're an arts teacher and you only have mm-hmm. 12 class periods or 15 class periods total with a student, mm-hmm. for them to miss one or two of those for this field trip would is really difficult. So that's a major yeah. So that kind of goes to this idea of bringing... The more people you bring into it, the least disruptive it is and the more inclusive it, it is yeah. in terms mm-hmm. of... I feel that way for sure. Um, I also feel like collaboration is... It takes time to grow. It's meaningful work, but it's, it's tricky work. And mm-hmm. I think that Krista, I think I, I can speak... I feel like I have the benefit of working with somebody who I just naturally enjoy working mm-hmm. with. And so that makes our collaboration that much easier. Nevertheless, collaboration, it is... It takes a lot of navigating and figuring and it, to construct something and co-construct things that are truly meaningful. Like you need to have subtracted a lot of things off of the plate of, from your plate, from students' plates, in order to be able to really sink your teeth into that. Mm-hmm. And I feel like some of the things that we could do to best allow for more collaboration is to remove other things that folks need to be split, splitting their attention between as they're engaged in something that's really meaningful like this. So, like, for example, it be, would be really wonderful if instead of teaching four sections simultaneously, 
if I could be teaching one or two, or we could be teaching one or two sections, maybe just even one larger section together, like pretty intensively for a six week period, and then shifting who that those students are and teaching it again, maybe mm -hmm. two, three times, where, where we don't have to, I, it doesn't feel like you're juggling a bunch of different balls. Like mm -hmm. you get to actually be a little more present because what mm -hmm. you can do with a small group and then repeat is to a much different degree and deeper, more meaningful degree than what you can do with four, four groups simultaneously. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Well, thanks guys. Yeah. I mean, this is great stuff. I mean, I think that, you know, just touches the tip of the iceberg, mm -hmm. but hopefully it inspires people to come and chat with you and learn mm -hmm. a little bit more. Yeah, I, I, think, and... I think also if you're um, listening and you're a person who teaches seventh grade currently and can imagine a way that you might partner with us in this collaboration, we're certainly open to that too. Mm -hmm. So, Or maybe even another grade, maybe not even seventh yeah. grade. So. And if you happen to be somebody out there who's not from Catlin and knows nothing about this, um, feel free to contact me. All of this is actually something I have pushed out and available with every single form and every single resources is in an outward facing um, folder. So well, we'll put that yeah. on, we'll put a link in, okay. the, in the description. Great. Yeah. So click here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Thank you, Rob. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Jesse. Cool. Thank you, Krista, for that. And for that was the sound of years. our high five. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of Elevate. If you have questions, ideas, or want to share your story, please send us an email. Elevate at catlin.edu.